0: When we sing songs like that, um, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender, my life is yours, take it all, take it all, my life is in your hands. Don't you wish that was more true of your life? This morning, um, the message that we're going to receive from the Lord is one that's a tough one. I want to go ahead and prepare you ahead of time. Stay with me. We got to get a little context built before we uh, before we actually get there. Um, but I want you to know firsthand if I get to preaching a little bit hard, and I get to preaching a little bit harsh, it's because I'm preaching to myself first. Y'all hear me? I- I'm preaching to myself first, and this is a message that um, that I need to hear. And I honestly believe this is a message that we as American Christians need to hear. Um, and, so, um, and so just stay with me this morning, if you will. Um, if you want to be turning in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, that's where we're going to be this morning. We'll read verses 1 through 6. But before you get there, before you stand for the reading of God's Word, um, I want to put a little emphasis on the prayer walk that um, uh, Sandra and PJ are putting together on the square. It's going to be a once a month thing starting out and see how it goes. From there, but it'll usually be on Saturday morning. Is the way it looks right now, and we'll let you know ahead of time. The primary purpose for this is because we have um, we have mothers and grandmothers that um, they have a burden on their heart for their for their children, for their grandchildren, for them to know the Lord, for the ch- for the children of Giles County to to know the Lord. It's not that we're not praying for all of the lost. But we are meeting together to pray for the purpose, specifically right now, praying for the children and the youth of Giles County, that, that, that they would just be led to know the Lord, that they would come to know the Lord early in their life, and that they would walk with the Lord all the days of their life. And, um, and so I love a burden like this that I hear. You know, as I, I shared with you last week, we've become too tolerant of, of sins, of youthful sins, because our culture has become tolerant of it. We we get to a point to where we say that uh, well they're, they're teenagers and they're going to go through this and they're going I was a teenager and I did this and yeah I understand that but let me tell you something God does not lower the standard of righteousness because your culture has and so the standard for God is still the same it don't matter whether your child's a teenager or not. And so I love a burden on a mother and a grandmother's heart that, um, that they just want to pray for, for their children and for all of the children of, of this county and our community. And so I do pray that you'll be looking for that. And if you have opportunity once a month to meet out there with us and us just meet together, and, and I don't know how it'll go. Um, Sandra, is really, Sandra and PJ both are really heading this up, and they'll, they'll really decide how this will be organized. But... The purpose is for us to come together as God's people and pray together, beginning with our youth of um, of Giles County. And so, I pray that if you have a similar burden, maybe you have children and or grandchildren, and, and you have a burden on your heart for them as well, um, I, I would ask you to be a part of that with them as they uh, they get ready to uh, to start this off. Revelations chapter three, verses one through six. If you if you there stand uh, one more time, I know we stand a lot. Y'all can count calories if you need to. (laughs) Revelations chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. And strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. And if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis. People who have not sold their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You can be seated. And as you're seated, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, I come to you this morning before we go any further, because this is Your Word. God, this is the living and powerful Word that You gave us to cut into the deepest parts of us and divide the sin from, from what You are making us to be, from the new person You are creating in us. And Father, I pray this morning that's, that's exactly what happens. God, I pray that we would not leave here unchanged by Your Word. Lord, for most of us in here, I'm sure that we can admit and confess to You because You already know that we are not surrendered to You. Our life is not about You. Our life is not in Your hands, even though in Your sovereignty we know that it is. But we have not surrendered our rebellion to You. We have not truly laid our life down so that we can make You everything, so that You and Your glory... It's what our desire is. It's what we live for. Father, I pray this morning You change that. Father, I pray this morning that You would show us, that you would, that you would lead us to die to ourselves and to come alive in You. And so, Father, I pray this morning that You take Your Word, You accomplish Your purpose that You sent it out for. I know that it will not return to You void. Father, I just pray that it affects all of us. Lord, we love You, we praise You, and I ask You for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, um, we get to look at another church in the book of Revelation that apparently it was um, thriving. Now, you don't see that yet, but you will. But this church was thriving. It looked like it was doing great spiritually. It, it, It looked like it really had it going on. And yet, Jesus comes on the scene and says, I know what you look like and I know what everybody sees, but here's what I know. You're actually dead. You're dead. And not only are you dead, but what little life you have in here is dying. And it's on its way to death. And so this church here is the church of Sardis. I call it the church of the living dead. Or if you're a Walking Dead fan, the Church of the Walking Dead, I guess you could say. But this church is a church that needs revival worse than than any other church that we have looked at. All of them, to some degree, except for the one we're going to look at next week, needed revival. But this one, Jesus literally comes on the scene and says, You're dead. Now let me tell you something, how would you feel as a church if you had it going on, things were going great, and all of a sudden you get a letter from the Lord Jesus Christ and He says, hey, I know what the world looks and I, I know what they see when they look at you and I know all the works and I know all that you do, but the truth is you're dead. It's not a very good introduction, right? It doesn't bring a lot of joy to the place. And so my prayer this morning is that you would hear the message of Christ to this church and if it applies, and I believe it will to many of us as it did to me, I believe that, um, I believe that you'll leave here different today. As you study this, um, this letter in the book of Revelation to the church in Sardis, you're going to see the same outline that we've seen in every other church. One of the first things you're going to see is that Jesus comes on and lets them know that He is the writer and He reveals characteristics about Himself that are particularly needed for this congregation. And you will also remember that every one of these letters started with a revelation of who Jesus is and the qualities about Him that they needed to see that pertain to their particular situation. And so it's very important if you're going to interpret this rightly that you understand what he wants them to see about himself. For example, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, right here, he says that this is the words, thank you, Rowland, he says that these are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. You might remember from Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, that um, when Jesus is given this letter, He says, this is John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before His throne and from Jesus Christ. And so what we see in this is we see that this is a letter that is from the Trinity. It's from God the Father. It's from God the Son. It is from God the Spirit. And then he is spoken of here as the the seven spirits of God. And and I'll dig a little bit deeper into that here in just a minute. But you'll also notice in Revelation 1, chapter 16, verse 20, that he says this, "...in his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength." When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. So this is Jesus, right? In verse 19, he says, Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. There's your outline for the book of Revelation as a whole. Verse 20, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels or the messengers of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is a book that's written in the apocalyptic genre, the prophetic genre. And so you're going to see a lot of symbolism in this book. But one of the things that he reveals to us right here is that when he talks about... He has, Jesus has seven stars in His right hand. He's talking about the angels or the messengers of the church. The ones that were to deliver the message to this church. Now as we've shared in previous messages, this could mean um, uh, angels as far as uh, beings that God created. I believe it I believe and fall under this interpretation that it means the messenger of the church, the, the the maybe the pastors of the church, the one that is going to present this message to the church. And I could go back and show you where this same word that we translate angel is also translated messenger when it's speaking of John the Baptist. And there are other places where in human form, it uses the exact same word to translate as a human that has been sent by God to deliver a message as a forerunner of some kind. And so here we see that Jesus is saying in Revelation 3, verse 1, these are the words of the one that has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So let's go ahead and get the stars out of the way. The messengers, the ones that I am giving you the Word of God through. This is the one, and these are the words of Him that has them. And then let's look at the seven spirits of God. As I said, the genre that we're reading from is apocalyptic or prophetic in its nature. And so a lot of symbolism here. I'm not telling you that that every number that you read in the Bible has a specific meaning. No, sometimes when you read it was, uh, that, that uh, it was Jesus was four days late, you don't have to put some supernatural significance to the four days. Um, there might be in certain situations, but not in every given situation. Sometimes four just means what? Four. That's right, the number after three, the number before five. Sometimes that's just what it means. In this particular instance, we're going to see that the number seven used here is the number that's used for completion, for wholeness, to represent the whole of something. I'll give you an example. Um, the number seven is, is representing, representative in this way throughout much of the Bible. Uh, seven days there was in creation. Naaman was commanded to bathe seven times in the Jordan for complete healing. And it was only after the seventh time that he was healed from his leprosy. Joshua marched around Jericho for seven days with seven priests and seven trumpets in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And on the seventh day of marching, they marched seven times before they conquered Jericho. In Moses and, uh, or in the books that Moses wrote, and then in Zechariah, we get God commanding that there is one golden lampstand with seven lampstands that come from this one lampstand, and ultimately Jesus told us in Revelations, it represented the churches and the wholeness of the churches in the world. And so here's what you get: to the number seven and the seven spirits of God. Signifies the wholeness, the completeness of the Spirit of God. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, actually breaks it out a little bit more. You could also go to Zechariah chapter 4 and read in Zechariah chapter 4 and see a little bit more about this. But in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, it is Isaiah prophesying about the Spirit of God that is going to rest on the Messiah when he comes. And it says that this spirit is the spirit of the Lord. It is the spirit of wisdom. It is the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And so ultimately, one of the things that many um, scholars connect these two with is that The sevenfold Spirit of God is just the wholeness of the Spirit of God. It represents Him in every way, in every capacity. And and so here's what you get. Jesus is starting off with this church and He wants you to understand. These are the words of the One who has sent messengers to you to proclaim this Word to you because let me tell you, The way that God communicates with you and I is through the Word of God. It is through His Word that He gives exhortation. It is through His Word that He gives instruction. It is through His Word that He gives us examples to follow. It is through His Word that He gives us hope. It is through the Scriptures that God does all this. And so Jesus is saying, I have sent the messengers in the fullness of the Word of God to deliver it to you. I have also given you the Holy Spirit in all of His fullness so that you have both things needed to follow God in every way. You have the Word of God and the ones who teach it. You have the Holy Spirit who teaches and who convicts and who leads and who guides and who is the Spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge and fear of the Lord. And so this is the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of God's Word. And these are the words of Him that has given this to the churches. Are you all still with me? All right, let's keep going. So here's what we find. This church needs to see that Christ has in His possession... Everything that you need and has given it to you so that you can be alive in Him. The Word of God and the Spirit of God. Next, we would typically see in the outline of the letter a commendation. Unfortunately, for this church, they don't really get a commendation. If they get one, it comes from verse 4 of chapter 3 that says this, Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not sold their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So the only commendation they get is that just like most every church, most of it is dead, but you've got a few that are alive. Now this is tough, right? You've got a few who are alive. And we're going to look at what that means to be alive here in just a minute. Next in our lineup or our outline in this letter, we normally have a condemnation. And that's exactly what we see in this letter. So there's an introduction. This is the words of Him. This is His particular characteristics. Then there's normally a commendation. And this is what I commend you for, even in all the bad. And then there is a condemnation that comes out and says, this is what I find as I walk through the churches. Remember Revelation chapter 1. I'm walking through the seven golden lampstands with the seven stars in my hands and I am examining and expecting the churches and this is what I see. And so the condemnation. Before I get there, I want to give you a little context on Sardis just so that you can get on the same page of who he's talking to. Sardis was one of the richest cities in the world. It was the capital of the Lydian kingdom. This was before the Persians and the Romans conquered it. It's still in this circle of cities that the seven were in this circle in Asia Minor, about 50 miles apart from each other, going in a circle, starting in Ephesus, going north, a little further northeast, and then so on and so on, circling back around. But in this time that I'm telling you about, this city used to be the part of the Lydian kingdom before it was actually Asia Minor, if you will. Before the Persians came in and conquered it, before the Romans came in and conquered it. And so we have this city that's the richest city in the world because it has a river that is extremely rich in both gold and silver. Sardis is believed to be the first place that coins were ever minted. So the coins that you see today and the idea that we get from minting coins out of silver and gold and whatnot, it came from Sardis is where it is believed. Farmers still find many of these coins there today whenever they're farmer. They had a lower city and in the lower city there were temples to false gods, Artemis and uh, Zeus and so forth. There was a Jewish synagogue. There was a big Jewish presence in this place. The ruins of that synagogue are still there today. There were Roman baths and a Roman gymnasium that was there together. There was a Roman theater. There was uh, markets throughout this place. This was a very rich city. You may have heard the saying before. I had never heard it, but whenever I researched it uh, per Google, if you will, and Google knows it all, right? But when I researched it, uh, there was a saying that is called um, as rich as Croesus or richer than Croesus. And it was a saying that people said about others that were filthy rich. Well, Croesus was king of Sardis, actually king of the Lydian Empire, and he became rich because of all the gold and silver and the treasures that were in Sardis, and the whole city became this way. But there was a lower city, and Croesus built an upper city. Croesus built an upper fortified acropolis in one of the nearby mountains. And So try to picture this if you will. You've got this mountain and there's mountains on each side of it, and then on the places where there's not cliffs to scale, they build impenetrable walls that that no one can get through. And so they felt very safe and secure. As a matter of fact, it was only ever conquered two times throughout the history. And the two times it was conquered was because of a silly mistake that their soldiers did, not because they penetrated the walls. And so they had this upper Acropolis that they would go to that Croesus built and it was very fortified, very secure. So think about this. They're very rich. They're very secure. A little history on that so you know. The story goes like this. One night the king of Persia, King Cyrus, surrounded Sardis. They left the lower city and went up into the upper city where it was fortified and they just wait them out, right? And so they're up here in this upper city And instead of keeping watch on the walls, they felt so safe and so secure and so comforted inside of their security here that they actually went to sleep. And so the story goes that one of the soldiers that he stood up after sleeping, he looked over the wall to see King Cyrus' army still there. And when he did, his helmet fell off his head and dropped to the bottom. And they said that the uh, Persian soldiers sit there and watch this soldier and said in just a little while they saw that at the bottom of this wall there was a secret door that opened. The soldier came out, picked up his helmet, put it on his head, went back and followed the pathway back up to the top. And he went back to sleep. And the Persian army comes in and they send troops in through this secret passageway up through the path into the the upper city, the upper Acropolis. And they literally take over the city while it sleeps because they were not prepared. That happened two times. Not the same exact story, but in the same way, while the city slept in their comfort, in their security, the enemy came in and they were conquered. They were destroyed. Once by the the Persians, once by the Greeks, and then eventually, not in the same way, but by the Romans. And so this is what happened in the city. This was their history. So it's probably not a surprise that Jesus comes in and uses a language that you need to wake up. You need to wake up. You are sitting here in your comfort, in your security, in all that you are, And you don't even realize that you're resting and you're sleeping and you're not keeping watch. So y'all stay with me in that context and let's go a little bit further and see what we can learn from this. The condemnation. Let's go with it. The first thing he says in the last part of verse 1, I know your works. I know that you have a reputation of being alive. Now you think about what he said there. When the city looked at this church, what did they see? This is a thriving church. This church, matter of fact, this was the, and I'm not trying to attach the First Baptist, but y'all know in every town you go to, it's the First Baptist, right? This is the main church. Well, this is the First Baptist church of Sardis. This is the church that everyone looks at and says, that's the church that we need to be a part of. This is the church that they probably had many activities. They probably had, they, they probably even had a great worship team, uh, bringing it into our culture here. They probably had a great time of worship. They probably had a great entertaining preacher that got up and spoke a good word. They probably had outreaches. They probably had a lot of stuff that they were doing because they had a reputation of being alive. But Jesus looked at him and said, Listen, you've got a reputation of being alive, but I know. Your works. I know your works. I know what your reputation is, but here's what else I know. I know that you are actually dead. And in verse uh, 2, it begins to give us the reason why they were dead. Namely, look what he says in verse 2. Wake up. Why are they dead? They are spiritually dead because they have fallen asleep. They are spiritually dead because they have fallen asleep. They are not keeping watch. They are still doing, they're still active, they're still serving, but they are lying in their comfort and their security, and now their church and their ministry has become a byproduct of everything else. So it's not the main thing, the main thing anymore. It's not that the kingdom of God is what I live for, that my life is surrendered to Him. It's not that now the life that I live, I live in Christ who loved me and gave Himself for me. It's not that. It's that I have my life, but You're a byproduct, God. We're still doing our ministry. We're still coming to church. We're still studying our Word together from time to time. But really, the truth of it is, You are second to everything else. We're not keeping watch. I'll prove it to you. These are Jesus' words, right? Let's go back to Matthew chapter 24 and let's read Jesus' words to take a look at what this looks like. In Matthew 24, Jesus is teaching His His disciples that they have to be ready, that He is coming back. Do you understand that Jesus is going to keep His promise? I know it's been 2,000 years, guys. God is not slack concerning His promise. He is long suffering and He is patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all who are going to be called should come and they should receive repentance. And so God is not slack concerning His promise. Jesus is coming, He is coming. And Jesus taught His disciples that you have to be ready and waiting for the second coming. So in Matthew 24, verse 36 through 42, read this with me. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For, and then He starts giving a description of what them days are going to be like. Listen to what He says. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So in the same way, Now pay attention to what he's saying. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. Now let me ask you a question. Is there anything sinful about being married? Is there anything sinful about giving in marriage? Is there anything sinful about eating? Is there anything sinful necessarily about eating and drinking? And so he's not naming out that this was such a sinful place, even though we know it was. But he don't point out any of the other things. And if you go to Luke 17, he does the same thing and adds the days of Lot to it. and says in the same way that it was in the days of Lot, he said they were eating, drinking, they were building, planting, they were marrying, giving in marriage until the day that fire rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah and destroyed that place. And so ultimately, he's saying that when the Son of Man comes again, it's not that it's going to be full of these sins that we talk about, even though it is. The problem is going to be that people are so caught up in living for their glory and for their life, eating, drinking, um, uh, just, just enjoying the world. And they're going to be so caught up in that that they never truly surrendered their rebellion against God and they're still actually walking in it while at the same time saying, All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. Hands open. It's Yours, Lord. Take it. Take my life. Take it into Your hands but yet everything in my ministry is second to ministry. Y'all get with me here in a minute. They weren't living in high alert to the fact that Jesus is coming and it could be today. And so here's what He tells them in Matthew 24 again. Stay with me. In verse... um, 39, and they were unaware, talking about the days of Noah and the people, they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then we look what he says. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one left. Therefore, what do you do? Stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. And if you were to keep going with me, he gives four examples here of how to stay awake and of our need to stay awake. He said, listen, if the, 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 if the man of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, what would he have done? He'd have stayed awake. And he would not have suffered his house to be broken into. But because he didn't stay awake, what happened? The robber came and the robber took it. And then he gives another example of after that. He talks about the wise servant and the, and the wicked servant. He says, who is that faithful and wise servant whom the Lord comes and finds Him doing what He has asked Him to do? He said, I'll tell you who He is. He's the one who has stayed awake and He's living and He's serving and He's feeding the servants. But the wicked servant is the one that began eating and drinking and He's beating His servants. And I'll tell you the difference. When I come back... That wicked servant is going to be cut into pieces where the weeping and gnashing of teeth are. That faithful servant is going to enter into my joy. And then he goes into another one in Matthew 25 and he starts, um, he starts talking about the, the uh, wise uh, virgins and the foolish virgins. And he says, they were all waiting on the bridegroom to come. But while they were waiting, the wise had all with them. And they were ready. The foolish... Didn't have no oil. They ran out. They were not waiting. They were not ready. And they all slept. And when the midnight cry came and the bridegroom came down the street to get his bride, they all woke up. And then the foolish said, Give us some oil. Quick, give us some oil. And the wife said, I'm sorry. We don't have enough for you and us both. Go out and buy some for yourself. And Jesus comes and He gets His bride. The wise ones go in with Him when the foolish get back from trying to get oil so that they can get in. In other words, they waited till the last minute to try to get this thing together and try to make sure that they're being a wise servant. And then by the time they heard the trumpet, they had to go out and try to get ready. Man, we've got we to get ready. we got to have some oil. And by the time they got back, do you know what happened? The doors had shut. And they knocked and they knocked and Jesus said, Who is it? And they said, It's us. It's us, your bride. And he said, I'm sorry. I don't know you. I never knew you. You were never really walking in genuine faith. I'm sorry. You went to church. You were working. You were doing all the stuff. You did some great things in your ministry. Congratulations. I never knew you though. That's the problem. Y'all stay with me. This is important. The point is this. Staying awake means that we are living and serving Him with all of our hearts because we know that He really is coming back and we are going to give an account for our stewardship that He has given us. And so my life, my life, guys, is not about Pulaski Water Plant. That's where I work. That's what I do. And I have to be there when He says I have to be there and I have to do my job and I have to provide for my family. But even at my job, my life is about Jesus Christ and serving Him. That's my life. That's what I live for. And so that's what it means to stay awake. This church, it seems, was not, was not actively living in the message that Jesus was giving them through the seven stars that He had in His right hand that He had given them, and they needed to. That's what they needed. They were not actively Following and walking in the fullness of the Spirit of God as He guides and He leads and He teaches and He disciplines and He corrects. But instead, they were quenching the Spirit. They were not listening to the messages. Instead, they were just living their lives, doing their thing. And Jesus looked at them and what did He tell them? You're dead. You're dead. Guys, this is serious. This is serious. Death is serious. They had a reputation for being alive, but they were dead, sleeping spiritually. <clears throat> In Luke chapter 17, I, don't, I didn't give him this, and I'm not going there. I'm just going to tell you about it. Telling the same thing about being ready. He tells his disciples, he warns them that if you're going to be ready, you need to remember Lot's wife. Do you remember what happened to Lot's wife? They were being called out of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were being saved, right? Right? from the wrath, from the destruction. But on the way out, she revealed her true heart. That her heart was not on the glory of God and the One who created all this. Her heart was on what He created. And on her way out, while it was being destroyed, she took one last look because she hated to see it go. And what happened? And God through Jesus Christ, gives us the warning, remember Lot's wife. Do not be so in love with this world. Church, Americans, please listen to me. We cannot be so in love with this world that God takes second place because I'm going to tell you something, God will not take second place. He won't do it. He won't do it. And so I'm telling you, some of us are dead spiritually because this world is more important to us and the comfort that we get in this world and instead of living on high alert, we're sitting up there in our Sardis, our upper fortress and our riches and our comfort and our security and we're just resting. We're just resting. We ain't fighting sin. We ain't seeking Him. We ain't in the battle. We won't be able to say on the deathbed with the Apostle Paul, I fought the good fight. No, because we ain't fought nothing. We won't be able to say, I ran the race. Because we ain't ran nothing. We won't be able to say, I kept the faith. Because we didn't keep anything. And there will not be a crown of righteousness laid up because we were spiritually dead. The ways to wake up. Verses 2. Start in verse 2. The ways to wake up. Look what He says. Wake up and do this. That's why you need to see this next part. Wake up and do this. This is what you need to do if you're going to wake up. And the first thing He says is strengthen what remains. In other words, there's still hope If you're hearing this message, there is still hope. I love this. For those of you that weren't here last week to hear last week's message, he told this Jezebel woman. He told this woman, he said, I gave you time to repent and you refused. This was a woman that was teaching people in God's church to be sexually immoral and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And God said, I gave you time. I gave you time. Let me tell you something. I don't know how more patient a God like that can be. And so here we have this same situation and He's saying to the church of Sardis, I'm giving you time. I'm giving you time to repent. And if you don't, we'll get to the warning here in a minute. But the first thing you need to do is you need to strengthen what remains. If you receive this message, you ain't completely dead yet. There's still a blip on the radar. It may do a little beep every now and then, but it ain't all the way gone. And so strengthen what remains and is about to die. And so I go back to verse 1 because this is the way he introduces himself. I believe that what he's trying to allude to here is that we need to get back to, to um, seeking God through His Spirit, through His Word. Get back to the place to where He is our everything. God, I want to know You more. There is no treasure greater. I count all things lost that I may know Him. All things are rubbish is the way I count it. I count it as garbage that I may know Him. And that's the heart that I want to get back to. And so they were weak because they quit seeking Him through His Word. They quit following His Spirit. They were not sensitive to Him anymore. They were not listening for His voice anymore. They were just laying in their comfort, just enjoying their life, just doing what they do. Still going to church, still doing their ministry, still doing what they do. But it was the life of the world that they were living for. And so what does it mean to strengthen what remains? Well, I believe it means this. To be filled with his spirit. You remember Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, where he said, Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. You remember that? We just come out of Ephesians not too long ago. What is he doing there? He's comparing the way that wine does us to the way that the, jo- the joy of the Spirit should do for us. And he says, Don't get drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. And so what he's saying is, drink the Spirit, drink it up. You remember what Jesus said in the Gospel of John? He said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me, and I will give him everlasting water, and it will become rivers overflowing out of his heart. It'll become springs welling up from his belly, and he'll never thirst again. And and then at the end of John chapter, I think it's John chapter 7, verse 37 or 38, somewhere around in there. It says that He's talking about the Spirit when He says that. Let me look at that for you. Yeah, go with me there. John chapter 7, you need to see this. Verse 37. John 7 verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this He said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. God has given us the fullness of His Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. And when we drink from it, when we drink from it and drink from it, we can be filled with it. And how, how do we drink from it? Well, I'll give you just a few examples of how we drink from it. He actually said in... Um, um Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 2, that if then you have been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Set your mind on the things of Christ. And so one of the things that we do is we, we, we change what we think about. We change what, what, what our heart is set on. And we want, to, we want to think about the things that are above. We want to think about the things that are of Jesus Christ the things that are eternal, not the things that are temporary. And the more we feed on that and the more we drink on that, He said that it becomes, it becomes rivers of living water that comes from you, that flows out of you. And so ultimately we strengthen ourselves by drinking from the Spirit. And the way we drink from the Spirit is by feeding on the Word. And as we feed on the Word, the Spirit becomes full in us. And we become rivers of living water. For those of you that have ever been there in your life, you know what I'm talking about. You know what that feels like. The next thing. So the first thing is strengthen what remains. The next thing, and this is one I want to spend spend just a minute on. The next thing, give God your best, not your leftovers. If you're going to wake up, church, listen to me. If you're sleeping, wake up. Literally, wake up. Give God your best, not just your leftovers. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. Look what he says in Revelation 3, verse 2 again. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Your works, as good as they are, as much as they do, they are incomplete. They're not going to stand the test. Is God using them? Absolutely. Does He not use and work all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose? Absolutely. But they are incomplete. They're works that the world looks at and they go, man, that's awesome. But Jesus looks at it and says, it's incomplete. Stay stay with me. One evidence that you are dying spiritually is when your love for worldly things is greater than your love for the things of Christ. This is what happened to Israel and they didn't even know it. Malachi, look with me, Malachi chapter 1, verse 6 through 14. We'll read it together. Look what happened to Israel and they didn't even know it. A son honors his father and a servant honors his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priest, who despise my name? But you say, listen to what they say, how have we despised your name? The church looked at God and said, wait a minute, this is not right, God, you've made a mistake. You've messed up, God. We've not despised your name. And listen to what God says, by offering polluted food upon my altar... But you say, how? How did we pollute, how did we pollute your altar with, with polluted food? By saying that the Lord's table, table may, may be despised. What do you mean the Lord's table may be despised? Well, let me share with you. Verse 8, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? Keep reading. And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will He accept you or show you favor? I want to stop there for a minute. Guys, listen to me. Take whatever service you give to the Lord each week. Go to your boss next week and present that to Him. Let me say that one more time because you didn't hear me. Whatever service you give to God, whatever, whatever love you give to God, whatever you do for God, whatever it is, take that same thing and you start giving it to your boss day after day, how long will you be in a job? Show up late. Yeah, I got some of you there, didn't I? Show up late. Show up late. Do it Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, or whatever whatever time you do. Show up late. Now go give that. Go give that to your boss. Every week, every day. How long are you going to be in a job? Listen to what he said. Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or will he show you favor? If your boss won't take it, do you really think God wants it? I'll just go ahead and tell you, let's just clean house today. If that's you and you're not willing to change it, stay home next week. Don't come back. Don't, don't come back. Because let me tell you what God will do. God will take a few and He will accomplish great things. I wish I could go back and preach on Gideon for a minute that, that Gideon thought he needed tens of thousands and God said, No, nope, you got too many. Let's thin them out. And then he finally got down to 300 men and God said, I think that'll do. And he defeated a great Midianite army. Let me keep reading. I can't spend too much time there. Let's keep reading. (coughs) Offer it to your governor and see if he will accept it. But then keep going with me. (coughs) It says, um, and now, in verse 9, entreat the favor of God that He may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will He show favor to any of you? says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not even kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations." He won't take second place. Y'all hearing this? And in every place, incense will be offered to my name. And a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, listen to this guys, please listen to this. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it to the Lord and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. Keep your leftovers to yourself. God don't want them. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Listen to what he said. He said, but you say, what a weariness this is. How many of us get to a place, and I'm just telling you, this is where I, I've been, and I get myself here too many times. Too many times I'll ask myself as a pastor, why you do this? Why you put yourself through this stress? Why you always deal with everybody else's problems, and your blood pressure's up, and you got all kind of health issues, and you, you ain't but 40 years old, you, you, you go to a doctor like you're 60 or 70 years old. Why? What are you doing, Kevin? Why do this? You don't have to do this. And you know what? That's right. I don't have to. I can be Jonah, end up in a whale motel. But he's telling us right here that many times in our walk, our service to God, we look at it and we look at the people of God and the service of God and we snort at it. What a weariness this is. What a weariness. God said, I wish somebody just shut the doors and you just stay home. If all you've got for me is the leftovers, keep it. Keep it. I don't want it. I don't want it. Wake up. Strengthen what remains. Complete your works in the sight of God. Let it be the best that you have to offer for God. Is it tough? Yeah, it's tough. Is it it difficult to be in a ministry? Yeah, it's difficult to be in a ministry. Is it a good work? You better believe it's a good work. You better believe it's worth everything that you have to sacrifice in order to complete it. And He is worthy of it. I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. So, let me ask you this. I'm not going to finish this message this morning. I'm just going to get ready to stop. Let me ask you this. <clears throat> if Jesus was coming back next weekend, I'm, I'm not even going to say today. Most preachers say say today, this evening. I'm not even going to say that. I'm going to say next Saturday at midnight before you even get to come to church on Sunday morning. Next Saturday at midnight. Now, if it happens, I wasn't a prophet. I didn't have a clue. I just guessed, all right? But next Saturday at midnight... You hear the cry, and one is left and one is taken. If you hear the cry, are you going to be ready to present your sacrifice to Him? Your life, who you are, are you ready to present it? If not, He's saying you're sleeping and you're sleeping in your comfort. You're sleeping in your security. And let me tell you, He's going to come like a thief in a night and He's going to catch you surprised. Let's just read the rest of it. I wished I had time to go through every point. <clears throat> in verse 3 of Revelation chapter 3, Remember then what you received and heard. Go back. Remember what you have received and heard. The Gospel. And keep it and repent. If And then look at the warning. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. That's another reason I believe I'm correct in interpreting it this way. He's channeling back to what he said in Matthew 24. If not, I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I will come against you. Church, this is an invitation for us to wake up. Listen, if God is not worth your everything, I'm not saying this to be mean, I'm being honest with you. If God is not worth your everything, go home. Stay home. Stay home. Don't come back because you need to enjoy all of this that you can because this is your reward. This is it. Make the most of it. Make the best of it. Make all you can make. Do all you can do. Buy all you can buy. Live for all that you can live for. Because that's what your life will be if you will not wake up. And then when He comes... It will be like a thief in the night and you'll be like that foolish virgins who are running out trying to get oil. God, we've been listening, we've been listening, but we ain't ready. Let us get some oil. And by the time you get back, guess what? I'm sorry. That's a tough message, ain't it? That's tough. I'm going to tell you, I, 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 was, I was reading that and, and, and the whole time I was doing it, but before I got to certain parts of it, I said, get them, God. Get them. Get them, God. This is, this is what they need. Man, they need this right here. And then I got down to that part about giving God your leftovers and it just being a weariness and I went, all right, God, that's enough. <laughs> that's enough. That's enough. I complain too much about what I have to do for you and about who I have to minister to and about, and, and about what, what all we have to do and what all I have to sacrifice and what all I don't get to enjoy and, and I don't get to do this and do this and do... And listen, you know what? That's all right. Amen. The Amen. truth of the matter is I might just go home and sell half of it just to be honest with you. you just to be honest with you. <laughs> because if I give my life to this right here, it was worth everything. Church, listen to me. And this ain't a VBS plug. But just so happened, Dale, you got, you got blessed this morning wherever Dale is. Jesus said the fields are white with harvest, but the laborers are what? Few. Few. So pray to the Lord of harvest. Guys, I, we need laborers in this church. Not not people that just want to fill a spot. That's not what we need. We need people that want to give their life to a cause for the kingdom of God. Sunday school teachers, y'all listen to me. Uh, Many of you have heard this before. Were it not for what Sunday school teachers invested in me as a kid, I would not be where I am today teaching the Word of God like I do today. Don't you think for one second when you're teaching kids Bible stories that it ain't a good, worthy cause? Amen. And yet we got so many teachers that it's just a weary, it's just a burden to even have to do this. We don't really take it serious. We just, um, we just do. We just get something together just so we can have something to do, so we can get through this this class. Instead of coming there week under, week after week in prayer and led by the Holy Spirit, saying, "God, where do we teach today? What do we, what do we tell them about you today? I don't know what else I can say. The fields are white with harvest, and there is opportunity for you to give the Lord your best. But if you're not going to give him your best, go ahead and lay down in your riches and your comfort, and you go ahead and be dead. Go ahead and be dead. Because this life is the best that you have to give. That's the best that you have to offer. But if you give your life for the cause of the cross, for the kingdom of God, you will never be able to receive anything greater than what you'll receive for for giving your life to Christ. If that's not you this morning, I pray you with me and you humble yourself before God and say, God, I'm sorry, you are worthy of more than what I give. You are worthy of more than who I am. And if it's not, I'm thankful for you. Because we need people like you. The kingdom of God needs more laborers like you. I was talking about a couple of teachers this morning. And I told Chastity sitting in the pastor study back here. I said, I wish I had 10 more just like them. Wished wish I had 10 more just like them. I love the way they go in here and teach these kids and sing with these kids. And, and, and just um, love on these kids for, for, for Christ's sake. I wish I had 10 more just like them.